0: What's happening, friends? This is What's Happening, Gem State, and I am your host, Brian Allman. It is December, finally. There's frost and snow on the ground, there are Christmas parties every night of the week, and we are approaching the end of the year 2022. What a year it has been. As a reminder, you can find the whole What's Happening family on the web at idahospodcast.com and on Telegram at t.me whidaho. Drop in, and join the conversation. Our first sponsor today is Maples for All Seasons. They're a boutique nursery located in Eagle, Idaho, specializing in all sorts of maple trees, from large sugar and acerubrum maples to ornamental Japanese maples, cultivars of which are specific to the Treasure Valley area. With over 20 years of experience, Barry and Sue Hoffer are two of the top arborists in the area, specializing in the pruning and care of all maples, as well as other ornamental trees. This boutique nursery is by appointment only, so call Barry at two zero eight four zero eight zero zero two five today. You can see their maples, get answers about your own maples, or just talk about anything regarding maples. To learn more, visit www.maplesforallseasons.com. I want to thank Barry and Sue for sponsoring What's Happening Gem State. With the elections over and done... Idaho's 105 legislators came to Boise last week, coming out of the mountains, across the rivers, and up from the valleys to be sworn in before the new session starts in January. New legislatures went through orientation, and then they came together with the old ones to vote for new leadership and organize themselves into new committees. In the House, Representative Mike Moyle of Star was elected speaker, the first new occupant of that seat in 10 years. In contrast to former Speaker and incoming Lieutenant Governor Scott Bedke, who never seemed comfortable with public speaking, Moyle has no problem telling it like it is. Whether you agree or disagree with him, he will tell you exactly how he feels. Even though he doesn't always vote the way I like, I do find that attitude refreshing, and I'm curious to see how it plays out in his new position. I always enjoy my conversations with now Speaker Mike Moyle. Former Republican Caucus Chair Megan Blanksma of Hammett will be the new House Majority Leader, with Sage Dixon of Ponderé as the Assistant Majority Leader. The new Caucus Chair will be Dustin Manwaring of Pocatello. Over in the Senate, leadership remained unchanged, which is a little bit surprising, considering how many new conservative faces are in the Senate this year. Chuck Winder remains President pro Tempore. Kelly Anton remains Majority Leader and Abby Lee remains Assistant Majority Leader. At close to 80 years old, it will be interesting to see what Senator Winder does this year, and if he plans for it to be his last. While he has used his power to kill some good bills in the past, Rosa Martinez coming within 650 votes of ousting him in last spring's primary hopefully put the fear of God, and of his voters, into him. He indicated in a recent Ada county GOP meeting that he would be reconsidering a bill to criminalize the distribution of obscene materials to children, so I will keep an open mind going into the session. The Democrats, of course, elected their own minority leadership, but they're a complete non-factor in Idaho politics, so I'm not going to pay them any further mind. Besides, we all know that the smartest Democrats in Idaho have R's next to their names, Back in the House, Speaker Moyle assigned the new committee chairmanships based mostly off seniority, which means that our new conservative rock stars might have to wait before gaining much power. Julie Yamamoto of Caldwell will chair education, which is a little bit concerning as she's not been seen as a very strong advocate for school choice in the past. Bruce Skoug of Nampa will chair judiciary rules and administration, with Heather Scott as his vice chair, so that might be a fun one to keep an eye on. Wendy Horman of Idaho Falls will chair Appropriations, and therefore co-chair the powerful Joint Finance and Appropriations Committee, with my own state senator, Scott Groh, who chairs the Senate Finance Committee. Over in the Senate, with so many new faces, it was inevitable that some would get some powerful positions. Tammy Nichols of Middleton, who by the way will be hosting her own podcast in the What's Happening family, will be vice chair of Agricultural Affairs, while Brian Lenny of NAMPA will be vice chair of Commerce and Human Resources. Dave Lent of Idaho Falls will chair the Senate Education Committee and that committee is absolutely stacked with conservatives, including Tammy Nichols, Brian Lenny, and Scott Herndon from up north. I am excited to see what creative solutions to our problems with public schools come out of that committee. One decision that stands out in the Senate is in the Transportation Committee, where former Chair Lori Den Hartog was demoted to Vice Chair by Chuck Winder who was apparently angry that she dared challenge him for the leadership. I really find it a shame, the more I learn about politics in Idaho, how much personal animosity plays in our political process. Over in the House, Mike Moyle didn't hold a grudge against Jason Monks for running against him for Speaker. Is Chuck Winder just too thin-skinned? In any case, the new legislature officially convenes at noon on Monday, January 9th, 2023. Come on down if you have the time. There are always opportunities to sit in the gallery and watch debates, testify before committees about issues that concern you, or simply meet some of your legislators and give them a piece of your mind. Respectfully, of course. My name is Brian Ullman, and this is What's Happening Gem State. Are you interested in sponsoring What's Happening Gem State? Contact me at brian.allman at proton.me, and we can work out a deal. I would love to shout out your business on this platform. Welcome back to What's Happening, Gem State. My name is Brian Allman. Remember that you can find all our shows at idahospodcast.com. Come and listen to this program, or What's Happening, Idaho with Josh and Kirsten. What's Happening, America with Josh and Lauren. What's Happening North Idaho with Matt and Aaron, Common Ground with Aaron and Lucky, and Coming Soon, Nickel for Your Thoughts with Senator Tammy Nichols. I'm really proud to be part of the What's Happening family. There was a lot of hay made last week about comments from rapper and fashion mogul Kanye West regarding some of his more controversial opinions. I'm not going to defend what he said, but neither am I going to fall over myself rushing to condemn him either. His opinions are his own. Instead, I want to take a look at the larger issue of freedom of speech. Should Kanye West be allowed to speak his mind? What constitutes hate speech? Is it possible for something to be both true and hateful? I suggest that these are all the wrong questions to ask. Asking if someone should be allowed to speak implies that there is an authority that determines what we're allowed to say. As Americans, we should heartily reject that notion. The idea of a government censor seems more in line with the old Soviet Union or modern-day communist China, yet far too many people in America are demanding the same thing today. The left wants to define anything they don't like as hate speech, and not only ban it, but use it as an excuse to kick you off social media, or even get you fired from your job kicked out of the public square entirely. Conservatives who use terms like hate speech are making the mistake of accepting the left-wing frame of reference and helping reinforce that narrative. The left even has a new term they're playing with, stochastic terrorism. They've deployed it to try and censor our speech. You see, they claim that any speech they disagree with is literally and inherently harmful, that it's inciting people to violence and therefore should be banned. Podcaster Lex Friedman told Kanye West in a recent interview, that his statements about Jewish people in the media and entertainment business risked provoking white supremacists who had hate in their hearts. The term might be new, but the idea has been developing for several years. I remember a while back when right-wing provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos went on a college speaking tour. Leftists rioted in the streets, committing violence and starting fires, all because they claimed that his words were literal violence. Meanwhile, they excused their own literal violence as free speech. Do you see how this works yet? They want to label anything that we say as hate speech, violence, stochastic terrorism, while defending anything they do as free expression. Conservatives have to stop playing that game. It never goes the other way. Remember when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot at Republican congressman playing baseball, nearly killing Steve Scalise? Nobody rushed to denounce Bernie's rhetoric because they only apply this heuristic one way. The purpose is to silence conservatives. There is a reason for this. You see, after the horrors of World War II and the Holocaust, a couple of left-wing philosophers got the idea that the real problem that led to genocide was in fact too much free speech. Men like Karl Popper and Herbert Marcuse argued that, had Hitler not been allowed a platform to share his views, then the Holocaust would never have happened. Andrew Stoylan of the left-wing Human Rights Watch recently posted a tweet that perfectly illustrates this worldview. He says, quote, the Holocaust did not begin with killing, it began with words, end quote. Since they see anyone on the right as a potential Hitler, a neo-Nazi, they feel justified in imposing censorship on all of us. When they get one of us banned from Twitter, they think they're doing the good work of stopping the next genocide. They actually have a term for this too, repressive tolerance. They have constructed a philosophical model that says that everything left-wing must be tolerated, even so far as violence, but anything right-wing must be repressed lest it inevitably lead to genocide. This sounds absurd to us, and rightly so, but this is how they really think. This is why it's a mistake to adopt their frame of reference with regards to so-called hate speech. There can be no common ground with people, who will stop at nothing to shut you out of the discourse. They want to ban your speech, and we want free speech. What compromise can you make? Ban half the speech? There are some on the right who are swayed by arguments that we need to ban some speech. Most everyone agrees that explicit calls for violence shouldn't be allowed, and statements that are slanderous or libelous can be adjudicated in court. Doxing people, giving away their personal information in the hopes that somebody goes to harm them, is not allowed either. Some conservatives go further, though, agreeing with the left that statements considered to be racist, anti-Semitic, or homophobic should be banned as well. The question is, who gets to define those words? Was it anti-Semitic for Kanye West to say that there is a lot of Jewish people in the entertainment business? Is it racist to say that black men comprise a majority of violent offenders? Is it homophobic to say that every child deserves a mother and a father? We on the right must maintain a commitment to the truth, even if it means being called haters. We must be willing to have hard conversations about difficult subjects, no matter how controversial or even offensive they are. Don't let them use scary words like hate speech, racist, or homophobic to cow you into being afraid to talk. Our forefathers died to ensure we had the freedom to speak our minds, so speak boldly. Remember that the left used our ideal of free speech in the 1960s to gain institutional power. But now that they're in power, they want to stifle our own speech. So don't let them appeal to our ideals as some sort of suicide pact. If someone says something you find offensive, it's okay to ignore them. Twitter has a block button for this very purpose. Unlike the left, we're all adults, and we can handle disagreement. My name is Brian Ullman, and you are watching What's Happening, Gem State. As a reminder, you can support me directly by subscribing to the GemState Substack. As a free subscriber, you receive every post, about three per week, in your inbox. As a paid subscriber, you help me make the time to create content that I hope is informative and inspirational. I really appreciate everyone who subscribes, everyone who shares my work. It really means a lot to me. So go to gemstate.substack.com to subscribe today. Welcome back to What's Happening Gem State. I'm your host, Brian Ullman. Our second sponsor today is Cassandra Henry at J&O Real Estate. At J&O Realty, Keller Williams Realty, Boise, they understand that buying or selling a home is more than just a transaction. It is a life-changing experience. Their philosophy is simple, clients come first. They pledge to be in constant communication with their clients keeping them fully informed throughout the entire buying or selling process. They believe that if you're not left with an amazing experience, they've not done their job. They don't measure success through achievements or awards, but through the satisfaction of their clients. With 10 years of experience, Cassandra Henry is your Idaho Realty Girl. Call her at 208-982-0013 or go to IdahoRealtyGirl.com. I want to thank Cassandra and her team for sponsoring What's Happening Gem State. By now, you've surely heard about the Twitter files, internal documents released by Elon Musk that prove how Twitter executives colluded with their Democrat friends to censor stories and ban conservatives from the platform. Last Friday, journalist Matt Taibbi live-tweeted some of his initial findings from the files that Musk gave him, showing the process by which Twitter stifled discussion of the Hunter Biden laptop story that was broken by the New York Post in October of 2020. Remember that various surveys have suggested that had more people been aware of the information from that laptop, that Joe Biden was using his son as a conduit for illicit deals with foreign powers, they wouldn't have voted for him. Twitter's decision to censor that story quite likely altered the outcome of the election and forever changed the course of American history. Watching Taibbi post his findings in real time on Friday night reminded me of when Edward Snowden fled to Hong Kong with proof that U.S. intelligence agencies were spying on American citizens. He handed the data to journalists Laura Poitras and Glenn Greenwald, as documented in Poitras' film Citizen Four. Like Snowden's revelations, Taibbi's information confirmed what most of us already knew. The main instigator of the censorship at Twitter was Vijaya Gada the Indian-born general counsel and head of Twitter's legal, policy, and trust department. She would later go on to make the decision to ban President Donald Trump after January 6th. Many conservatives first learned who she was in 2019 when she appeared alongside Twitter founder and CEO Jack Dorsey on Joe Rogan's podcast to defend the way in which Twitter censored and banned conservative voices. It really is frustrating to me that someone who is foreign-born had such power over our freedom of speech. This isn't anything against foreign-born people in general. This isn't xenophobia. Consider that the man who's restoring free speech to Twitter, Elon Musk, is himself foreign-born, from South Africa. Rather, it's an indictment of a globalist system that allows multinational corporations to ignore the liberties that Americans have cherished for generations. Believe it or not, there was a time when our captains of industry were American patriots. John Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, who was born in Scotland, ironically, and Henry Ford might not have been perfect people, but they all believed in America. They employed American workers and they gave their fortunes back to America in one form or another. Today, the American people are simply raw material for the globalist corporate engines. Twitter and the other big tech platforms have become bigger than any single country, bigger than our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. This has led to a situation where a handful of unelected and completely unaccountable employees of Silicon Valley firms think they have the absolute right to control the flow of information in our society so as to effect their desired political outcome. The oligarchs of big tech, including Vijaya Gada at Twitter, put their thumbs on the scales of American politics, never thinking that they would ever be caught dead to rights. Now that these revelations are out there, We need to put even more pressure on our elected officials to do what is necessary to protect our inalienable right to free speech. The excuse that Twitter is a private company is absurd. I've said many times that Twitter is the de facto public square, and it needs to be treated as such. Those who break the law should be removed, but speech must not be censored. Even the things that Kanye West has been saying recently should be allowed. It should not be for anyone, whether a political leader, a CEO like Jack Dorsey, or a foreign-born lawyer like Vijaya Gata to determine what an American citizen is allowed to say in public. Twitter and the other tech platforms should be treated instead like the telephone lines. Can you imagine if AT&T or Verizon was listening in to every call and threatened to cut off service if you said something they didn't like? Isn't it amazing how conservatives tend to win when speech is free, while the left can only win with censorship and fear? Maintaining the freedom of speech, the free flow of information, should be one of the top priorities of our elected officials, right along with protecting our southern border and keeping crime off our streets. That f- Consider that freedom of speech is literally the first clause in the First Amendment to the Constitution. That's how strongly our founders felt about the ability for citizens to speak freely. The fact that multinational corporations staffed with lawyers and left-wing activists think they can shut that down is not only un-American, but immoral. This is a place where those of us on the right need to make a clean break from the Reagan-era unconditional support of private companies. Social media is an entirely new phenomenon, more akin to the invention of the printing press, the telegraph, and the telephone than a business that sells goods or services. You and I must keep our elected officials on the ball here, lest our God-given rights be permanently erased by this unholy alliance of corporations and the state. Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter might go down as one of the great moments in the fight for liberty in America. I am glad to be here to see it. My name is Brian Allman, and I thank you for watching What's Happening, Gem State.